Hi, this is Washington, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Memo. Would you like a weekly dose of career inspiration curated specifically for you, delivered to your inbox weekly? If you answered yes, then text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866 to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Memo. Each week, I'll deliver a newsletter that includes career resources, career lessons, job opportunities, and opportunities for you to invest in your professional development. The memo is also how you'll find out about upcoming events like the I Choose a Ladder Career Summit and our pop-up dinners. Getting all this is super easy. All you have to do is text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. In this episode, you meet Jackie McWilliams. Jackie is the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, known as the CIAA Commissioner. She was the first female to serve as commissioner for the CIAA and first appointed African-American commissioner out of 100 conferences representing NCAA Division I, II, and III. Jackie spent nine years at the NCAA managing NCAA championships to include both the men's and women's Division I basketball tournaments. She started her career in coaching and administration at Virginia University with career growth opportunities at Norfolk State University and Morgan State University prior to the NCAA. Jackie earned a Bachelor's of Arts degree in uh, psychology from Hampton University, a Master of Arts in Sports Management and Administration from Temple University. She's a member of the Hampton University 1988 NCAA Division II Women's Basketball Championship team and was inducted into Hampton University's Athletic Hall of Fame. She was inducted into Temple University's Gallery of Success and the Sierra High School Hall of Fame. Jackie served as the chair of the NCAA Division II Management Council and was a member of the NCAA Board of Governors while in that seat. Her passion to advance women's women provided her with the opportunity to also serve on the board of directors for women leaders in college sports and the Collegiate Women's Sports Award. She has received numerous awards to include the Black Women in Sports Foundation's Legend Award, Radio One Women of Excellence, Charlotte Career Mastered Award, the Cafe Mocha Salute Her Trailblazer Award in Charlotte. During our conversation, we touched on the importance of mentors, dealing with hurtful comments from colleagues, balancing being a single mom while having a demanding career, and how her faith fuels her passion, among other things. So as always, pour yourself your favorite drink, grab a notebook and a pen, and get ready to catch these gems. So Jackie, thank you so, 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 so much for making the time to be on the podcast today. Um, So I've read all about you because... As you may know, I work in the WNBA. However, I know nothing about basketball. So I'm like, let me talk to somebody. (laughs) Who knows? And I'm pretty sure the listeners will be very excited to hear from you because they ask me basketball questions. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So I'm so excited to hear from somebody who actually knows knows the game, both on (laughs) and off the court. Um, So your job is a huge job. What does it mean to be the commissioner of... um, a division like what does that mean in terms of your job yeah you know it means well thank you for having me today I mean it's such an honor and pleasure to um, talk about CIAA and the opportunities I've had as the commissioner and leading this conference to for one of the most historical conferences black conferences in the country um, and it means everything it means everything to have this opportunity to lead in a way where other women girls and boys and men can see someone that has the power and the position and the passion 
um, to lead a conference um, in its present time, but also in the future. Um, I'm just in this for student athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a former student athlete, um, played volleyball and basketball in Hampton. And to have the opportunity to work in this field for almost 30 years and then to lead this conference and demonstrate um, that this conference can move beyond the past is pretty incredible. Um, And I don't take it for granted at all. And so a lot of people who work in sports are not like me, right? They've wanted to work in sports their whole life. They kind of follow a path. So for you, what did that look like transitioning from, you know, athlete to working professionally behind the scenes is that something that you knew existed like how did that happen for you well interestingly I thought I was going to be a child psychologist or a psychologist I mean that was my I went to to get my undergrad in psychology I wanted to get my PhD in psychology sport and then it was sports psychology because I wanted to stay connected to sport um, and didn't realize that until the end of my career when I had to figure out what was I going to do with the undergrad psychology degree um, I had great coaches and mentors in college um, and examples of you can work in sports and it could be a career path for you, whether you wanted to coach or be an athletic director. I never thought about being a commissioner, actually, until I worked at the NCAA. I worked in this conference for three, almost four years um, before I worked at a Division One, two Division One schools. And then I went to the NCAA and worked almost 10 years. And I realized how much I love working in conferences. I love working in the NCAA, the structure and the organization, having your hands um, and opportunities and all different stuff from corporate um, to nonprofit, to leadership, to fundraising, to sponsorship. I mean, it's just so many different avenues in this job that is connected um, um, to the world. Um, And sports is the conduit to get there. And so um, it's just a great opportunity to be in this role. And again, I never thought about it until I got to the NCAA and realized that I love conference work. And if I was going to come to a conference, the CIAA was the only place that I wanted to be at. Hmm. And thinking back to that first job, do you remember how you got it, how you went about it? The question is always like getting your foot in the door. So like, what was that like for you? Oh, you're smiling. It was hard. It was hard. I had a master's degree. I actually finished my graduate degree at Temple University and I had to do, you know, you have to do an internship and a project. So I moved to Atlanta and lived with my aunt. Um, to to work for the DeKalb Parks and Recreation. Mm. Um, And that was basically volunteer work. I mean, I needed to get my grad degree. They didn't pay, um, but it was an opportunity. And I was under um, the leader, the director there, Terrence, who was absolutely amazing, allowed me to put projects and events and stuff together, but it wasn't a paid position. It was a graduate credit. Mm. Um, And so I had to work three other jobs. I worked in retail. I was a receptionist. Um, I worked on the weekends because I had to survive. And um, so at the end of the day, you know, when I got my master's degree, I was just like, so I have a master's degree and I'm a receptionist at a computer company. Like, what does that really mean in, you know, with this undergrad degree and a graduate degree? So I was a little frustrated. It took me probably after I got my master's, probably another five to six months Um, to really get a job. And so Virginia Union University was the first opportunity that I had. I had hired somebody to do my resume. Now, mind you, I have 10 jobs and, you know, to get resume a resume done costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I decided I was going to invest and get this resume done and and send it across the world. And somebody was going to hire me because I had a master's degree. 
And that's not what really happened. I mean, it's really about connections and what people remember about you. And I was just blessed that my athletic director, who's the commissioner at the MEAC, uh, Dennis Thomas, uh, remembered me. And of course, he remembered me. I was a student athlete there, but knew I finished my master's. CIAA asked me to come back and speak at their women's basketball banquet when it was separate. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, here I am, this 22-year-old coming in, talking about my dreams of wanting to be working sports to, you know, 300 young ladies um, that were represented the CIAA. And from that point, the athletic director at Virginia Union needed a volleyball coach, a senior woman administrator, and an assistant women's basketball coach and a compliance coordinator. And I got a call from Dr. Dennis after, you know, working all these other jobs and said, hey, there's a job open at Virginia Union. Are you interested? And I was like, uh, Virginia Union? Like, at all places, I'm going to Virginia Union because I remember <laughs> playing as an athlete. I'm like, their gym is small. The campus is small. Like, I don't know if they have scholarships. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter. That probably still has been the far best opportunity um, to get my foot in the door. And I just saw it as an opportunity to work with an amazing athletic director who saw value in me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't insecure. He always said to me when I came there, um, you may not want to be an athletic director, but my job is to train you to be one. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to think of yourself being the next all the time. And so he had me in places that I know I probably would have never had that opportunity anywhere else. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where it began. I just said, yes. Um, drove my little car all the way to Richmond, Virginia, and found a place of home there for a salary of $23,000 with four jobs. And here I am now, you know, almost 27 years later. Huh. So the, the lesson in that is to say yes. Say yes. You know, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, often we are looking for positions that we think we deserve right now, right? Or I have a master's degree and I've arrived. You haven't arrived. You don't have any experience. And even if you have, sometimes you've got to just work yourself through the process of learning. Um, For me, um, I wasn't making any money anyways, and I never really wanted to coach. Um, but I saw it as an opportunity where I could learn um, my my coach, my coach at Hampton at the time was like and my mentor at Temple just said, look, here are the things and experiences you can get from that. Mm-hmm. And the best thing I could have done was take that uh, receptionist job at that computer company mm-hmm. um, because I learned great customer service. I learned mm-hmm. how to speak to people when they were irate and crazy and mad at the president of the organization. I mean, it really taught me how to be a better communicator. Um, and to prepare myself to communicate to young student athletes that were probably three or four years less than I was at the Mm. time. So absolutely. Sometimes you got to say yes, but don't compromise, you know, the yes for things that absolutely don't feel right to you. There was nothing that didn't feel right about the position, Mm. except that I didn't ever want to (laughs) coach. Right. I never wanted to move to Richmond, Virginia and work at Virginia Union and found out that if I would have said no, I probably wouldn't have been prepared for this position. Mm. And you mentioned briefly your mentor. So can you talk to one, how you found your mentors when you were earlier on? And then two, if the role of the mentors in your life have changed as you've gotten more senior in your career? I think, you know, everyone that started that I started with are still people that have been in my life. Um, Mm. And whether I talk to them once every year or you know, quarterly or maybe two or three years, you know, every time I transitioned in a job or position, I called my, um, my advisor at Temple University, Dr. Jackson, 
And I would talk to him about it. And though he wasn't in my spaces, he understood the challenges of me being a female, a woman of color, um, but also the challenges of getting in these circles. Um, mm-hmm. I always wanted to work in the professional film I th- realm. I thought that working for, you know, an NBA team or um, an NFT, NFL team or the Olympics was like, that's where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think I found my sweet spot in higher education and intercollegiate athletics and, and found that was okay. And mm-hmm. my mentors and uh, even sponsors have let me know, like, you've got to be in the place that best matches your goals, your missions and your values. And mm-hmm. so I think Dr. Jackson, my current, my former coach um, in college, um, my high school uh, vice principal, who was my mentor, who even encouraged me to go to Hampton and to go to a black college um, to get my undergrad degree. So I do have all these individuals that are still in my life. My coach has passed. My godmother has passed since. Um, but the things that they taught me and shared with me through some of the hardest moments of my career have always stuck with me. Um, my athletic director at Virginia Union was awesome. I don't talk to Coach Battle, but the things that he left in my spirit about being a leader has always remained. Um, And I have uh, a few people that I worked with at the NCAA, um, Judy Sweet, who helped me navigate through this space um, and who really cared about my growth and Mm -hmm. really made sure when I was at the NCAA that I was in spaces that would help me grow within the organization, but also prepare me outside. And so definitely, I think there's people that I can call upon. You know, the higher you go up, the harder it is. Mm -hmm. And so you got to really hone into those individuals that can help you navigate through the space. Mm. And you talked a little bit about, you know, in the beginning of leading a group, leading an entire, you know, conference. What do you think you've had to develop in yourself to make you an effective leader, right? So your, your mentors have talked to you yeah. about leadership. Um, I think a lot of the women who listen to the podcast are at the level now where they're thinking about going into leadership, but they don't necessarily have a model or access to what that looks like. So for you, what do yeah. you have to develop in yourself to be able to lead an entire conference? I think that is a wonderful question. I just spoke to a young lady who's interning at the NCAA that just wanted to call me and ask me, like, how do you do this? I see you as, you know, a commissioner. And I never thought that I could be that. I wanted to be an AD. But, you know, tell me all the things that we're talking about. And what I said to her as it kind of clicked on me, I said, you got to enjoy and love yourself. You got to feel really good about who you are and what you value about yourself and what you bring to the table. You don't have to convince anybody because they'll just see it. They'll know it based on your own passion and your enthusiasm about the work and the opportunities you have. As I was telling her, when I feel like I've gained 10 pounds, my whole attitude your physical weight and your physical being has so much to do with your mental and spiritual well-being and it's not operating in a silo as an individual like they all interconnect well my mental is well messed up my physical can be messed up and everything else my mouth and everything so I think as a leader it's really helped me figure out about who I am and owning my own Um, my own deficiencies, my own mistakes, and how do I forgive myself for that so that I can be a better person towards everybody else? I often see us as women of color, specifically, when we're not in a good space, we pull everybody else in that space, which isn't a good space. And that's not why we're here. That's not why I should be here. I'm here to uplift, inspire, bring other people along because people have brought me along and not necessarily women of color. So let me be clear. 
Um, men have helped me through this space. White women have helped me through this space. There's not many of us Black women in the space to help one another, right? We're just trying to grab and hold onto what we can just to survive in the space. And so now that I'm in it, I have a responsibility and I get it. I totally get it. And the weight sometimes feel heavy because I'm just trying to keep up with myself. And now I'm trying to make sure everybody else is good. But I think me being a better person for myself allows me to be a better person for everybody else. And leadership um, depends on good people being kind, having a heart, having a thoughtful head and using your hands and not afraid. I'm never too good enough to write my own documents. I'm never good enough too good enough to move a box because I see my staff or colleague. Now they don't want me to, but I will. They know I will. I'm never too good to drive my own car to get me to my next space. And so I've never arrived, right? My job is to make sure that I lead the best that I can, but I have to be in a good space for myself. Mm. So you talk about being yourself, like being comfortable in your own skin. So let's talk about hair for a second, because this is something that comes up <laughs> all the time, right? So your job is a highly visible job, right? You are, when I, you know, Googled you, there's interviews after this and there's press ops and all those things and you have short, natural hair. So the question is, have you always had your hair like this? And (laughs) did you think about what the perception would be in how you wear your hair or did that not come into play at all for you? Oh, it always comes into play. I mean, anytime I'm with women in our profession in athletics or probably any women, period, I don't ever shy away no matter what circle it is. I don't care if it's a group of majority white or men or women. I always bring up the challenges that that we have as people of color, particularly women with our hair. Um, My hair has been a challenge for many others, more so than it has been for myself. They have made it be a challenge for me um, because I, again, have to be secure that I can wear my natural hair. I wore my hair straight. I've had... um, you know, I've had uh, braids in my hair, whatever. Um, but this is what it is. And this is the best I can do for you right now. But I think in the transition, when I made that decision, it was hard. Um, and it's funny, I tried to prep the people around me to say, okay, I don't know what it's going to look like, but this is what I'm about to do. And then when they question you about it or make say things that may be hurtful, you know, you kind of second guess, did I do the right thing? And honestly, I think... Um, there's been some painful moments dealing with my hair and colleagues and, um, and even family members. So let me, my family's from Mississippi, right? The deep South. And so, you know, I've got some great aunts that are like, Oh, wait a minute now. What, what is all of that? You know? And so, you know, you're just constantly trying to, to battle what people think you should look like, um, Mm -hmm. why you want to look like, you know, your own self. Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter's 13. She has lots. She's had them for the last five years and they're absolutely amazing on her. And if I can't feel comfortable in what I look like, then how can she feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. And my job is not to make everybody feel comfortable about my hair. My job is to get the work done. So Mm -hmm. I try to be very clear and direct um, when there's comments made um, about offensive, if you're offensive or how you make me feel. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I work in black college sports. And so I have the beauty of being received and accepted in my community of black college sports. But when I get outside, of that um, because of my own confidence, my colleagues still receive and accept who I am. Mm. 
And I, it's just so wild to me that you had to prep people because nobody else, no other race of people, and if, if right? my colleague is going to get a haircut, she's not going to prep, prep us in the yeah. office. And I think it's like little moments like that that people yeah. don't realize that other people within their work yeah. are dealing with. That it's just, it's just been a way of life for all of us. All of us. Like hair comes yeah. up so much. Yeah. You really think about that. Your hair goes out of your head a certain way and that's just how you it live. Does. It does. But you know what? The thing what's funny with us as just as a people and culture, we we shake up everything, right? So one minute we'll have this natural and then I might come in with a wig. I won't, but I'm just saying. Like <laughs> we come in with a wig and people are looking at you like, who are you today? And I think that is confusing for some. I mean, even for me sometimes. I'm like, okay, so you had that yesterday and now you're here. And it's not a critic. It's not being critical. It's just, who are you? You know, mm-hmm. and so when you're, when you're trying to get comfortable with yourself and then you're expecting other people to get comfortable with you, it's a challenge. It can be a challenge, particularly in corporate, I think. Um, so that's why I'm saying you have to be okay with whatever you decide you look like and whatever you, however you wear your hair and recognize that everybody won't receive that in the same way. But mm-hmm. that's okay because everybody's not going to receive my dialect. I can be just a Southern from North Carolina or from Mississippi or very proper from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I mean, I can, I can switch up on you no matter where I am, just based on the, the culture and community that I live in. And you got to be okay with that for yourself. Right. So, so the hair is a big thing, but here's the next big thing that you just touched on communication style. Right. So I think a lot of times black women get the thing of like being too aggressive or like trying to be, um, avoid the stereotypes of being classified yeah. as an angry black woman. So do you think about because of the position that you hold your communication style and has it changed as you've gotten more senior? Um, I think I've learned to be more direct, um, Ooh, more, direct. Passive, more direct. I, I honestly think, and I think about when I was growing up and my, I was a military child and we lived in California, Germany. My family's from the South, spent summers there, lived in all different places, been around all different types of people, um, but very strict home um, with a military father. And so, you know, sometimes your emotions and feelings, you don't cry, right? And you don't, your opinion is your opinion. I didn't ask for it. So you just, you learn how to suppress your own feelings and thoughts. And so for a long time, um, I didn't know how to share how I felt and I would never would cry. And as I got older, I learned how um, restrictive that made me feel and how sad it made me feel because I didn't know how, and I could play on the court. I could be a captain. I could tell you where to go on the court. I can do all of that. But once I got off, if somebody said something that made me feel sad, I didn't get angry. I just didn't know how to respond in a way that didn't feel like I was angry. So I think I've learned, um, through counseling, um, you know, going through depression, having anxiety, really learning for myself how to communicate in a way that's kind of, I'm a woman of God. So let me just keep that real. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to represent myself as I know Jesus would represent himself in any circle. Right. And so when I think of a model, I think of him. Mm. Now I'm about to cry. I think of him because despite if you're a Christian or not, if you know his story, he was just a good person. He was criticized, he was beat down, he was hung, and he still loved people. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm always thinking about how can I still demonstrate my love when you have made me feel the low of the low? Mm-hmm. You have spoken, and how can I communicate to you in a way that's direct? 
Um, but it doesn't make you feel any worse than you're already going to feel when I say it. So I just think there's some, some Scott soft skills that we have to learn. And like you said, as women of color, I've just, I've, in the last two months, I have either coached or mentored or talked through situations with my sisters who are trying to navigate in spaces, not just in athletics, but even the corporate market about how to deal with situations. you got to have a team of people to talk to and bounce off what you want to say, which is fine, but how you should say it mm. so that you are able to continue to move because people will blackball you based on your opinions and your thoughts. So it's great to be direct, but what does direct really look like if you're working for someone who's insecure that either looks like you or doesn't look like you, right? You got to understand who you're dealing with. I, I've always been very um, blessed and try to lead in a space in our office where people can share their opinions and never feel like it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And because I never had that opportunity in some spaces or they wouldn't be criticized about how their tones sound. Now we deal with tones and that all the time, but those are teachable moments here in our office. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's tough. I I just think you just got to have people around you to talk through difficult situations, particularly when you know, you're going to be perceived as the angry black woman. Mm -hmm. Maybe I am angry. But it doesn't mean that I don't want results. It doesn't mean that I don't want to be a good team. I just want to make sure that you understand and value what I bring to the table. Mm. Um, And you, obviously, this is 20 years in the making, the job that you sit in now. How do you know when it's time for you to move on to your next opportunity? How have you known in the past? Um, You know what? I think um, I've been very strategic since I started at Virginia Union. And for me, I, I know in my spirit that I could be at a place three or four years, and that's probably the max, just based on resources, the the mobility. And so I prepare, even at 23, I was like, I probably will be at Virginia Union four years, five years at the max, and then it will be time to go. Because there's only so much scholarships, there's so much they're going to pay me, um, and I want to grow. And so every job that I've had has either moved me, they all have moved me into the next direction and step, even if it was a lateral of pay. Um, I didn't mind. I I saw the opportunity was greater to get me in a position to prepare me for whatever that next job was of leadership. And so the NCAA, if I didn't take this job, I would imagine that I'd probably still be in Indiana, which wasn't the favorite place to live, but the favorite place of an opportunity to work in an organization that has so much impact in intercollegiate athletics. Um, But definitely knew that when this job came open, my dream job, like I was ready for this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going into my eighth season being the commissioner. It's been seven years on September 4th. Um, and I feel um, invigorated. I feel challenged. Um, I love the work we do with student athletes. There are moments like in any job, you're just like, how much longer am I going to do this? You know, I don't ever want to wear out my welcome enough where there's no innovation. Uh, we're not growing as an organization. I see presidents and I talk to them often, you know, sometimes they know 10 years after 10 years, it's time for them to move on and somebody else to come in and carry the, the torch. So right now I think I have two more years on this agreement. I'm in my second year of the third term. Um, I'll begin to discuss negotiation, whether to extend or whether, you know, it's time to go. But right now um, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the work um, and the spaces and being able to 
uh, represent the CIAA on national level um, mm-hmm. to give us awareness of who we are, but also be a woman of color sitting at the table making big decisions about college athletics across the country, Division One, Two, II, and Three. Um, so one of the things that um, we hear a lot is that there's a fear around taking high profile jobs because your mistakes are very visible, right? And everyone has an opinion, whether it's a mistake or not, but every decision that you make has a thousand opinions associated with them. I was reading the CIAA is moving um, Uh. for the first time and I was reading all those opinions and I'm like, see, this is what I'm I'm talking about right here. This is what people don't want. So for you, how do you look at balancing the decisions that you know are right, that are going to be polarizing for one reason or another, once the general public gets to like, how do you prepare yourself to be visible, but still do the job that you were hired to do? Yeah, that's, um, I pray, um, you know, I make sure that I get my team, we get together and we talk about controlling our own message. Um, let's make sure we have all the information we need so that our board and us can make informed decisions that make sense for the mission of this conference. Mm-hmm. Um, as Coach Williams, our dear friend and colleague at St. Augustine's would say, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play. And so it's really important that we work together as a team, work together with our board and our membership to make sure that whatever decision that we make is in the best interest of what our mission says and what our job is to create these experiences for the student athletes. And that that's from the financial side all the way to the marketing and visibility side. And I will tell you, there are times where I just cut out the noise. Um, mm. I even cut out the noise with my own team. I can hear all their opinions. And when I feel like I'm all over the place, I silo myself for a moment to get centered. Um, I pray and just ask God just to give me clarity about where and what and how I should communicate the direction um, so that our board can make the right decision. And it's never failed me yet. I value the the people in my office and the discussions that we have. I value the um, communication with my board and their thoughtfulness in helping us make the right decision. I love that they always say, you won't carry this by yourself, even though it feels like this. We're a team. Mm-hmm. We're in this together. And so when the board makes a decision, you got that. You just have to carry the weight, whatever mm-hmm. that is, but you don't have to carry it by yourself. And so I think just being prepared and being able to justify why we do and controlling our own message. You know, when people tweet stuff and put stuff out there that may be contrary, we don't, we try not to be reactionary to that, mm. you know, because when you're reactive, then it looks like you're not. And so we don't respond. And then we do respond when we need to, and we control our message. And so that's been the biggest lesson for me in the last seven years, but really the last four, we've had to make some really, really, really tough decisions since I've been here. And every time I think we've made the right one and people complain, if we went to the left, they'd be upset. If we went to the right, they'll be upset. So wherever we decide to go and land, I just know that we've been, we made the right decision and we were thoughtful. Like we're not operating in a silo at the CIAA. We're very thoughtful about who's engaged from sponsors, from student athletes, from athletic directors, senior one. Like we don't do this by ourselves. We get collective information and make the best decision based on what we have. And then, so we'll have two more questions before the, uh, the lightning round. You mentioned earlier that you have a daughter um, and a lot of the moms who listen to the podcast 
are trying to figure out how people balance being ambitious with high profile, shaking your head already with high profile, demanding <laughs> jobs, and also like not losing your, like where, where do you fit into the equation of being mom and being a commissioner and being all of the, a woman of God and all those things? Like, how are you balancing it or what tools or what have you found that has helped you not lose yourself in all of it outside of Jesus? I have to talk to people about it. I have to talk to people who are going through it themselves or, um, you know, I just had a conversation with my board chair about that. You know, my daughter's 13 now and being from 12 to 13 is very different. Being from 10 to 13 is very different. She has, uh, she play, she's played sports. She needs to get to her games. I want to be there to see her play. She has stuff on the weekends. I normally go to games on the weekends. I haven't been to a game yet um, because it's priorities for me. My faith, my family, and everything comes together from there. Um, but it's challenging. I'm a single mom. Um, and so to try to be at this level and still be the provider um, and to give her the opportunities, it doesn't seem like it's getting easier, but I think it will based on continuing to build the community that we have around mm-hmm. us. I have a great group of, of the Simone team, right? So whether it's somebody helping me pick her up or somebody staying with her because I have to travel, we have a core group here um, in Charlotte that is Team Simone and and the dog. Have a dog too. That's I think that's worse than having the child. And it's not <laughs> bad having the child. The dog is, I have to navigate for him too. But at the end of the day, it's part of our family. And it's hard sometimes. I get down every now and then because I don't feel like I'm doing what I need to do. I feel like I'm neglecting something, you know, whether it's work or I'm neglecting her. Um, but the greatest advice my board chair gave me the other day is just do your best. Um, there's no, there's, there's, you know, the we're such high achievers, right? I don't like making mistakes. I don't, I know the position that I carry and I've chose to be in this role. And so trying to find balance sometimes is not always easy. And so, yes, I pray, but there are moments where I'm just like, okay, this enough is enough. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore. And um, I don't think that's the option as well. I want to be a great example for my daughter and I don't want to exude, you know, my, my, um, what do you call it? my weak, not even weaknesses, but the challenges of managing and balancing all of that, because she'll carry that herself. Mm-hmm. That's the other piece that I recognize is that she's a high achiever and she doesn't want to disappoint. And so I'm watching her do that. And I'm just telling her, be your best. Like there's no pressure to be the straight A, even though she's a straight A student, there's no pressure to be the best athlete because I was the best athlete. I mean, just be your best and I'm here to support you. But at the same time, she watches me trying to do all those things that I'm telling her not to do. And so that for me is the hardest Mm. um, because I want to succeed and I want this conference to do well. And I want another black female to be in this position and nobody could ever say, you can't hire a woman of color. You know, I don't want to be the last. I want to be the the one that leaves the the expectation that anybody can be in the seat. So Mm. it's tough. It's tough. And I don't have any, any, um, any, you know, advice except every day that I just focus on today, tomorrow is better. Mm-hmm. But when I start thinking about the schedule and my calendar and map for the next month, I start to go into this shell. And so just this week, no lie, I just said, let's just do one day at a time. Mm-hmm. We have a game tonight. I'm going to pick you up. 
I'm going to go home, do a little work, or I'm not. I'm going to come in the office. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to go pick her up for practice. And then I'm going to go to a meeting somewhere else. Just one day at a time. That's mm-hmm. all I can tell you. One day. Um, and as someone who's uh, had the opportunity to, you know, manage a bunch of different types of people over your career, is there something that you see uh, Black women specifically doing in the workplace that our counterparts are not doing that may be like, unconsciously holding us back or keeping us from progressing in the ways that we want to? Yeah, I think we don't, I don't think we ask enough. I don't think that we're just, you know, if you want to raise, figure out how to talk about getting a raise. If you feel like you're ready for promotion, how do you, how do you track the work that you're doing and demonstrate that you are in position to move to the next level? Mm. I think we sit and wait and think that people are just going to put us in positions. Um, and some of us have that opportunities, others don't. And so I'm, I'm always concerned in this field that women of color, they may be getting the entry positions, but they're not being carried along to be prepared to be the athletic director, the senior associate or the commissioner. And so I just think, you know, those who are at that level, you've got to help pull those up. The other thing I see is that those who get in, um, they've got to be prepared to do the work and they got to be prepared to deal with all the strategies around doing things that they don't want to do. Right. So sometimes you got to volunteer your time or stay a little bit later or, you know, I'm not saying compromise yourself or anything like that. But I am saying, you know, you've got to be seen as a person that wants to be a team player and it's not all about you. Mm. And then lastly, so knowing what you know now about what it takes to be successful and kind of climb, what would you say to a young black girl, you know, at Hampton right now that that she should be working on that will make the transition from being a student to being a professional a little bit easier? Yeah, I would say, wow, that's a good question. I would, I would say that that person should um, really think about what their career path, what they want their career. My first question to any student or even somebody who's in the field, if you could paint the picture, what does the end result look like? Where do you see yourself? So if you see yourself as an athletic director, where do you need to position yourself to be an AD? Because you just don't become an AD in your first three years of being in the career. That's not going to happen at any level unless you're just lucky, um, real lucky. But if you want to be an AD or you want to be a basketball coach, how do you position yourself and put yourself around the right people that can help you navigate in that space? And sometimes that's hard. Um, you know, I, I have a, a young lady that I'm working with who, you know, she graduated from school and she's just applying for jobs. And I'm telling her that's not going to work. You, you got to make connections. You've got to go. And I'm not the best at networking. Let me just be clear. I, I go into spaces and I just I just cringe because I don't know if it's authentic networking for me. I like to meet real time, real people. And I just don't want to meet people because I think I'm going to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I like I, I, I live on relationship building and growth and, and authentic relationships. So I think you, they have to be intentional about the relationships they get in, the, why they're in those relationships to help them navigate to that final picture that they want to paint for themselves. Mm. Um, OK, now these are our lightning round questions. Don't overthink them. Just the first thing. Ooh, that overthink. <laughs> Okay, so (laughs) what's one piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? 
Oh, I can't overthink those. One piece of advice. You wish um, you had wish- earlier. Uh, oh, it takes time. Hmm. What's the career lesson that's taken you the longest to learn, but it's had the biggest impact on your career? Value yourself more than you value other people. What's the one book that you could read over and over again? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, hungry hustle and hung, hung hungry hustle and hungry hungry humble and hustle hungry humble and hustle um, and then the last question is we know that most decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room so what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room that i made a difference now i had so much fun talking to jackie as you can tell from the conversation and she's such an inspiration in the work that she does and the way that she approaches it And you all know I like to end every episode with the top three gems that I picked up um, during the episode. So the first one is, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play. So get in there and, you know, figure things out. Don't be too scared to be a part of the huddle or else you have no idea what's going on. And all you have is assumptions on what you think is actually happening. The second thing that I picked up on was it's okay to say yes as long as it does not compromise with your morals or anything that you're... um, that you hold dear to yourself because sometimes those yeses are what puts you a step above everyone else. Again, everything in balance, but saying yes is uh, is a really important part, especially in the beginning stages of your career. And then the last thing um, that really stuck out to me was when she talked about her mentors, letting her know that she had to be in a place that best matches with her goals, her missions, and her values, right? I think I talk a lot about being aligned and my theme for this year is, you know, being perfectly aligned. And so it's important to make sure that where you're working, where you're spending so much time of your day and so much time of your life that you are in a place that best matches your goals, your missions and your values. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, subscribe to our weekly newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. You can also connect with us on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder or on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.